tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Mac. Good morning, Maca. It's Ling here. I'm calling from Sheffield in Tasmania. You mentioned about talking about trains. Mm. I just want to say Sheffield. Uh, that's going to be a steam fest on the coming weekend from 11th of March to 13th of March. I'm excited about it, and I love Sheffield. Tell me your Is story, it- Ling. <laughs> okay. Oh well, I'm Chinese Australian. I live on Gold Coast. Mm. Uh, I love Tasmania. So this is my fourth road trip down to Tasmania, and I do a lot of hikings. So you drive from the Gold Coast down to Tassie? Ah,、uh, this is my fourth time. Wow! And there are many more to come. <laughs> Tell me when you came to Australia and why. Okay, <laughs> yeah, Australia—it's the best country to live on Earth, you know. And being Chinese, and I have the exposure when I was working for、uh, one of—I don't know whether I should say it—but it's called Austrade.、Uh, Austrade, yeah, you can yeah, say that. M- yeah, mid-nineties,、yeah. I was fortunate enough to come over to work, and I've been here before, so I love the country and just feel right. Everything is perfect. I mean,、oh. nothing's perfect, but you know what I mean. I do. I know, you know exactly what you mean. Yeah, the, the the country, the people, and you know, like Tasmania, to me, full of the the best in nature. It's a lovely spot. Good on you, Lynn. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. The... I enjoy your program.、Thank、Keep you. up the good work. Thank, Thank you. If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker, they tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it. Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. I will. Good morning. Wasn't Ling delightful? A lovely, positive person who's in love with Tassie. And Steamfest has been on this weekend. It's on today. You can go to Steamfest in Sheffield. You'll probably bump into Ling if you. If you keep your eyes and ears open, she'll probably come up and say good day. She's that sort of person, I think. Thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two—that's our number. Macatracks at gmail dot com. Love to talk to you. This is from while、well, we're in Tassie. This is from Hobart. It's Louise. She says, "Good morning, Macar and Lee. Thanks so much for the wonderful Sunday program. Listening to many countless interviews and phone calls and great stories about normal Aussies going about their daily lives. I've been listening for decades now. A couple." I am a nurse and midwife, and commenced general training in a private hospital here in Hobart in 1974. The good old days when patient comfort and respect for our patients we cared for with devotion. We really took the Florence Nightingale pledge and were so proud of our profession. After completing my midwifery training in '81, I truly found a job I've loved for all these wonderful years. I've just retired, says Louise, and what an honour and a privilege it is to care for so many mothers and their beautiful babies and families. Time now to spend with my adorable grandsons, sailing and travelling. That'd be nice sailing. I'd love to sail. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably late to sail around the world, but I'd love to do that. I think I'll start with a row- rowing boat with a little place where you can put a sail in the middle and just potter around on the river. Thanks for a wonderful show. How about coming down to the Australian Wooden Boat Festival in 2025? Says Louise. A great few days full of fun and so much to see. Well, we'd love to. 2025 might be a bridge too far, but. We went there. I don't know when. When were we there? Two thousand and something. Two thousand and two, five, something like that. We were at the Wooden Boat Festival, and it was a great morning. It was a great morning. I remember this bloke came up. He parked his boat by the one we were just broadcasting there, and he walked up, and he had very little on. And he said, "Oh, oh my God!" And he went back downstairs and got some clover on. Take care of yourselves, says Louise. Best wishes from Hobart. You little ripper. Thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two, as I said, and I've been promising this morning. Come and meet Ken Kitching. That's the music of a bloke called Ken Kitching. Time was in Australia, especially the nineteen sixties, the seventies, and beyond. If you wanted a slide guitar, a pedal steel, or a dobro on your music track, you rang Ken Kitching. He was a fixture on most country music recordings, including, of course, Slim Dusty. Ken is now 90 years old, but as you'll hear, he's still playing after a lifetime in music, and it was music that helped him overcome the obstacles in life. The music of Ken Kitching. This track is called 
Dobros in Hawaii. Uncle taught me to play, and he was a Hawaiian player, and that's what I learnt. I learnt Hawaiian music first, and it's, it's been with me all my life. As you can hear, I was born with a hair, lip and cleft palate, and um, it didn't stop me from doing what I wanted to do, you know. I, uh, I had a bad time at school, really hard times at school. I, lost, I think I lost nearly all my schooling. And then I picked it up playing Hawaiian music. I'm talking to Kenny Kitchen, who's a wonderful steel player, and but in his work, well, it's not a Hawaiian shirt he's wearing, but he's wearing these sort of Hawaiian beads. So Hawaii and you go back a long way, eh? Yes. I first went to Hawaii in 1977. I went on a little trip over to St. Louis, Missouri. So we stopped off in Honolulu and I met... Jerry Bird, who was my idol, steel player, a fabulous player. He recorded a song that uh, Roy Orbison wrote for him called Valley of the Roses. Some that CD. This is a new CD that you've done with uh, Emma Emma Hanna. Yeah. Kenny, one of the big parts of your life, I suppose, was touring with Slim Dusty. Yeah, I recorded with Slim a lot. I didn't tour with him much, although we went over to the Solomon Islands. But uh, yeah, I recorded with Slim. Great experience. Oh yeah, fabulous. Yeah. You know, and I recorded for a lot of people. Jimmy Little, I worked with Jimmy for nearly 50 years before Jimmy passed on. Johnny Ashcroft, Arthur Blanche. All them people, so I spent about 20 years going to Tamworth. My uncle uh, bought that Dobro, uh, it's a 1930 model Dobro, and he left them to me before he passed on. I thought, I want to put another string on it. There was enough room to put another string on it. It's a complete E7 tuning. I just can't remember the day we'd done that track. It's one of many, you know, I've done so many tracks. Slim, mainly on pedal steel, but I can't I can't play pedal steel anymore. I have bowel cancer. I'll reframe back to me Dobro and me double neck Hawaiian guitar. That'll do me. Good on you. I can't. When I see people playing the pedal steel with yeah. multiple things and yeah. fiddling around on their feet, it yeah. seems like a bridge too far for me. Yeah. So um, and knee levers. Knee levers. Like, so it's like an American guy got me onto pedals back in 1964. He said, Kenny, don't be frightened of uh, these pedals and knee levers. It's just like driving a truck. Accelerator clutch, you know. <laughs> so you've got two feet, two knees and two hands. Hello. <laughs> I've sort of gone back to my roots, you know. And you've got a lovely photo here of a Hawaiian guitar. Yeah. Tell us about that story. I went to a timber yard out at Smithfield and the guy said, oh, what do you want? I said, I'm after some Brazilian mahogany. I said, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to build a Hawaiian guitar. He said, will you bring it back and let me have a look? And I said, yep. So this guy was a French polisher. He was an Aboriginal. So he did. He put about 23 coats on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a beautiful looking yeah. thing. It's come up. Show it anywhere you like, and I'm very proud of it. And I hope my father and mother and my uncle can see it. Your roots, as you said, were sort of Hawaiian. Do you still go back to Hawaii now and again? Yeah. yeah, I go back as much as I can. How come? Um, Because I love it. It's in there. (laughs) (laughs) He's pointing to his heart, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And uh, you do what you love. As soon as I heard my uncle play, I just went like that. I just couldn't believe my ears. I said, um, Uncle Mick, yes, son, I'm going to play one of those one day. So 
So I did. We went up to Mount Isa and we'd done the show. The next day, uh, I helped the pilot put the tags on the guitars. There was about five guitars. I got back to Sydney um, and my pedal steel came out and my Dobro went that way. A baggage handler knocked it off at the airport. So I rang John Laws and I'm, I knew John. So anyhow, I put my feelers out for it and uh, nothing. So one day I had a telephone call from an American friend of mine. Danny, is that you, Bill? Yes, mate. I said, uh, what can I do for you? He said, it's what I can do for you. He says, has your guitar got seven strings on it? I said, yes. And he said, I sent a uh, second-hand shop up there, one of the cash converters. I said, mate, go back and put 20 bucks on it to hold it. So in the meantime, I've been in touch with a, a mate of mine who was a detective, and he rang the coppers up at Brisbane and they went down and picked it up for me. And then uh, another friend said, Kenny, my mate of mine's a truck driver and he'll bring it back. Cut a long story short, but they brought the guitar back and here it is. How long was it missing for? Seven years. <laughs> Seven years? Yeah, I, 86 to uh, 92. <laughs> there you go. And you're in touch with the Dobro family, aren't you? Yes, I am, yeah. They're in America? They're in America. Uh, Houston, Texas. Yeah, they're very good friends of mine now. Great. Which do you prefer, the pedal steel or the Dobro? Or Dobro? Well, both. You know, like, you, you can get more out of a pedal steel, you know. I, I've done a lot of sessions with a pedal steel when, when it was all happening, but now I've settled down with my Dobro and my Hawaiian guitar. I'm very happy being 90. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Okay. Thanks yeah. very much. Thanks. Nice to talk to you, Kenny. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much, Macca. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and from Rex Ellis, who's lived along the Murray for many, many years, and has written a piece called Rivers Do What Rivers Do. I'll read part of it. He says, if you live on a river... Even Blind Freddy understands that eventually there's going to be a big flood. Before the Murray River began misbehaving itself, a lot of people said there would never be another 1956 big flood. Well, how wrong they were, and just as well too, because the current flooding is a massive win at least for the environment. Rex Ellis says the flood has also unleashed a flood of bureaucratic bungling, causing a lot of unnecessary stress for many Riverlanders, but the environmental ramifications are many and varied. From black box, that's eucalyptus largiflorens, I think is the correct pronunciation, on the extremes of the floodplain, getting a rare drink as water spread right across. You've seen pictures of it. He says the reason why huge colonies of white ibis headed for the cities and towns on the east coast and becoming known as bin burglars, was because the wetlands they used to breed on have been steadily drained. Ibis, straw-necked in particular, have always been known as the farmer's friend for their thorough elimination of grasshoppers and crickets as they march shoulder to shoulder across a paddock. Rex concludes that hopefully some lessons will be learnt by this flood, but you wouldn't want to hold your breath, says the cynic in Rex Ellis. Last Thursday, I attended the funeral of St George and New South Wales cricketing great Warren Saunders. It was a large gathering, lots of people there, the cricketing clan, really, gathering to pay tribute to the man and his family. There's always some news around, and I bring you two little stories, one about seniors cricket, which now starts over 40, I think, and also helping other nations become part of the cricketing family. Come and meet Harry Solomon and Brian Friedman. I'm at the funeral of Warren Saunders, and the cricket clan has gathered for the passing of a great man. Brian Friedman from the Canterbury-Bankstown Club. G'day, Brian. Good, Macca. How are you? And Harry Solomon from the St George Club. How are you, Harry? Macca, lovely to be with you here. You've both got a little story to tell me. Harry, you've just come back from New Zealand. What were you doing in New Zealand? Uh, I was playing for New South was in the over 70s against New Zealand. Uh, mind you, I, at 75, I was the oldest, but I'm happy to say I led the batting averages and aggregate, so that's fine by me. <laughs> uh, and you play for Australia as well in the same thing? Yes, yes. I, I did play for Australia three years ago. I'm hoping that I'll get picked again with, <laughs> after my performance in New Zealand. <laughs> when, when you play for Australia, where do you play? Do you play on the pitches of India or what? No, no, no. We toured England and we toured New Zealand with the Australian team. We play in very good uh, conditions. Uh, uh, veterans cricket in Australia is, is probably the highest scoring in terms of uh, uh, participation. Mm. 
So there's great participation at the moment and uh, veterans cricket is becoming very, very popular. There is a, a 40s team who are in New Zealand, a 50s team at the moment playing a Veterans World Cup in uh, Cape Town, the 60s team just returned from Barbados, a 65 New South Wales team has toured New Zealand and we, the 70s team, the New South Wales team has toured New Zealand and the 70s, there is an England tour at the moment in Australia. Do you get a bag of green, tell me? Yes, we do get a bag of green and uh, everybody looks forward to it. Harry, last time I saw blokes who were over 50, over 50 mind you, playing cricket, they were stopping the ball with their foot and they were throwing the ball in underarm and one bloke who was bowling had to be taken off because he didn't get one ball on the pitch after 12 balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you watch the, the veterans, uh, veterans cricket uh, over 50s, over 60s, and now it's uh, 70s, and uh, now it's gone to over 40s, they, you've got to be pretty good to be playing. Well, good on you. When's your next match? Well, next Sunday. I've just finished six matches in 14 days. The body's a bit sore, but I've got to recover by next Sunday because I'm playing in Newcastle. And last time I saw you, it was a while ago, you'd bought a Winnie Bargo and you're going to travel around Australia. You're still doing that? No. Well, not yet, but um, I'm hoping to start that again. I'm looking for another motorhome soon, and that's in my bucket list to go around Australia again. <laughs> you can organise some cricket matches, mate, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> On the red earth. How'd <laughs> it come by chance or somewhere? Brian Friedman. Great to see you again, mate. Uh, last time I spoke to you, you were sending some cricket bats and pads across to Africa, I think. Tell us the story. Uh, yes, we, we, we send uh, or collect and send um, cricket gear to Uganda, uh, something we started in 2004. I used to manage the Australian Under-19 side in the World, in the Under-19 World Cup was there in 2004, and we came across the Ugandan lads, and they were so poor, they were swapping helmets and bats they went out to play for their country so when I got back here I spoke to my friends in the Bankstown club and we decided we'd do a collection the first person we we went, went to ask for help was with this man here as I Harry. Uh, Harry yeah absolutely and we uh, we eventually filled the container and sent it off and that was going to be the end of it but they were very excited when they got it and they put out a press release that made the ABC <laughs> here I must tell you and people contacted us again and said, are you still collecting? So we decided we'd do another one. And now that's turned into number 16, which, is, which will be shipped in about the next two weeks. So we've, uh, we've made quite a difference over there, which I'm delighted to say. Uh, when we started, they had less than 10,000 cricketers. They've now got over 70,000. So that, uh, that speaks volumes for the, for the project, as far as I'm concerned. So you're sending, what, container loads over? Container loads, yes. And can I give the Bankstown Sports Club a, a plug? They've paid the freight for every container that, um, that we've sent. And the, in turn, the last one was over $14,000. So without their help, we couldn't do it. But uh, uh, we're very grateful to, for their support. It's a feel-good thing, isn't it, when you do something for other people, especially those who, I, well, I think it was mentioned in the funeral, doing something for somebody who n don't necessarily can't do something for you. Absolutely. I, I get a great deal of, uh, of uh, joy out of it myself. We, when we go, we go around and collect the gear and we bring it back to the oval and... We re-grip a lot of bats and do those uh, sorts of things. Uh, but I get a lot of personal satisfaction from it. But I went over there. They asked me to come over and see what, they, what they're doing over there. Delightful people are just so grateful for anything that we, we do for them. And they don't waste a thing. Everything goes into a, a register and they know where every bale goes. There's nothing gets knocked off and, uh, or anything like that. So it's, it's worked wonders and we'll keep going as long as we can. Brian Friedman, great to talk to you. I was just thinking while I'm talking to you that, you know, Harry's probably got a, a spot in one of the um, over-70s uh, for you, for a bit of cricket. You're a fair cricketer in your day. Uh, yes, I've only got three problems now. I can't see, I can't run and I can't bend down. Apart from that, I'll be fine. <laughs> Harry, Harry and Brian, great to talk to you. Good on you. Thanks, great to see you. Good on you, Mac. Lovely to see you again. David here. Mac, how are you going? Good, thanks, Dave. No, sorry about that. That's all right. Yeah, I'm um, just ringing from Redcliffe, where I went to the Dolphins match last night. I don't know whether that interests anyone, the rugby well, league match. Well, you can tell people about it. Redcliffe uh, Dolphins are a new team in the uh, rugby league in competition. Uh, Redcliffe, yeah. they were a, they were a, 
a seminal team in the in the Brisbane Rugby League competition, but then it all Absolutely. died in the bum when they uh, yeah the Brisbane Broncos turned up. But now the yeah. the the Dolphins live again, and Arthur Beetson would be very pleased. Um, so would That's Rossi right. Strudwick. I think did Rossi Strudwick play for the Dolphins? Uh, I've got to admit, I was actually a New South Wales when we moved here about a year ago. Right, yeah. sold our farms at Warrior. I was the guy that rode Eric the Echidna. I don't know if you ever remember. That. I do, I do remember that, David. <laughs> anyway, so you yeah, but anyhow, the football. You're right. You're right on all fronts there. They were, uh, they're still around, you know, and still play very well in the Brisbane comp. I think they might have lost the grand final when we were here last year. But anyhow, off we went. Uh, they played last week down at uh, uh, SunCorp mm. and had a win and against the Roosters. And so off we went last night. You wouldn't believe how wet it was. It rained. Really? So. Off we went and uh, watched them, and uh, now we call him the Premiership favourites. They've won two in a row. <laughs> two in a row for a new. It didn't take us long. To, didn't take us long to get on the bandwagon, but <laughs> no, for a, well, for a new chum club in whatever competition, even if it was in AFL yeah. and a new, a new team in the comp, all all of a sudden wins the first two games. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. heads turn, mate. I'd heads turned, all right. I think they're going to instead of Eric, we've got Wayne the Dolphin now. I think. <laughs> In, in Wayne we in Wayne we trust. In but Wayne we trust. Yes, Wayne Bennett. <laughs> what oh, a man! It was so, it was so very entertaining, mainly because the weather. Oh, the crowd was just fun. We, we couldn't go to the game down at Suncorp last week. We're actually down in Penrith, but yeah. visiting another daughter. But so off we went a few mates and I, and um, the wife, I was going to go rain, hail, or shine. My wife was only going to go on shine. <laughs> So it was raining that much, so she she pulled out and another bloke pulled in. So so off we went, and oh, it was very exciting. Got to the end, the the dolphins won. And and, and you said it poured rain all all the time. It rained. Oh gosh, it rained. Just right at the end, it sort of cleared away. It was on and off. Been raining up here in Brizzy for, a, for not like northern Queensland, but. Certainly been raining. Well, you're getting the wash-up. Well. I think you're getting the wash-up of yeah, that, the, mons- up, that. the monsoon, yeah. I think, you know. And, uh... Yeah. Well, this time last year, we were just coming out of the rain bomb. We, we arrived. We moved here for various reasons. Sold the farms at I was just going to ask you that. You sold yeah. your farm at Warrialda. Why? Yeah. Um, I had enough. Yeah. Um, time moves on. Uh, wife was teaching. She was a bit over it all. Sort of had to move out of town. And we both kept working. So we come up here to – we have one daughter up here. And one's another daughter in Penrith or in that area, and another son managed a lot of country at Gunnedah. So we just thought, oh, here we'll come up here and try this. And a bit of a change, certainly a change, all right. But it's um, the Dolphins are making it a bit of entertainment. And um, you've, got, you've got to laugh, though, at this one minor. Doesn't matter, I'm a South supporter, really, a Rabbitoh. Mm. Doesn't matter where you go, there has to be a couple of Rabbitoh supporters there. And there they were, they're standing in front. <laughs> Got a photo of them, but anyhow. <laughs> but no, so it was it was good fun, and I just thought people in the, you know Australia all over. Yeah, well, like, no, see, footy's a very tribal game. I think you know, time was that they did, wanted to take away the tribalism, but um, it was a very tribal. Still, is a very tribal yeah, game, yeah. and if you're a South supporter, you're a you know, and if you're a, you're a and if you're heart, a yeah. Geelong cat, you're a Geelong cat for life, and you know that's yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. whole that's the only reason to support your team. I think it's not. Yeah. You, know, it's, you don't swap and change very much. I don't know how we're going to. So I suppose we've got to say we're dolphins. I don't know when they play the rabbits, how we'll go. But I think it's. I think. I think because they've won two matches now, they'll have a lot of newfound friends. <laughs> Premiership favourites, my son. Premiership favourites. It didn't take. It didn't take. Only how they gave us these funny-looking pins to put on your head, and ah, oh, dear, dear, dear. Yeah. But anyhow, I just thought you'd like to like to know that quirky little story. Yes, David. And, um, and uh, I haven't written another book. I'll have to say, as I said, Wayne the Dolphin. That's all I could come up. Yeah, with. Eric. You wrote Eric the Echidna. Well, yeah, oh, Wayne yeah. the Dolphin. Well, you better start working on it, mate. I wrote. It, I wrote. It. I was in the hospital and wrote a poem. I've seen it. But too rude to read over the body. No, no, no rude poems. <laughs> no no rude poems. And poems take so long on the radio. Um, yeah, right, Omar. Good, Good on you, David. Story. Great okay. to talk to you. Great to talk to you, Ian. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Ian. Yep. Alan Wright down at um, oh, well, Cobram, just across the border on the Murray River. Uh, how's things, Alan? What are you doing? Well, mate, I come down here to drive a truck and I've ended up in the shearing shed, shearing sheep. 
So work that out, Macca. I can't. But anyway, I'm down here trying to catch a fish and got the fire going and living on the riverbank and enjoying life. So you're shearing. How long have you been shearing for, Alan? Um, I'm 55, Macca. I gave up shearing at the age of about 22. So I've come back to the shearing shed after 30 years, mate. Mm. What you because went? I, did you say you went down there to drive trucks or something? And yeah, went down there. I, I picked up in a place called Trangy out west of Dubbo mm. by a truck company to come down here to drive a truck. And in the interview, I didn't agree to the terms of the conditions I had to had to work under. Mm. So I went, nah, not not for me, mate. I said it's not my first radio in trucks. I'm not going to do that. So. I, Blake picked me up and dropped me across the river being into Victoria and I've been here for the last two weeks and I've been ended up in the shearing sheds. And how is it? How's, how's your back? Well, well, the, my back's no good at the best of times, but anyway, the the brain tells me I can do it, but the body says, oh, this is going to hurt you. But anyway, I'm doing it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so, because, so you're in fruit country there, really, aren't you, around Cobram? Yeah, well, well, I'm a bit of a fruit leap at times, Macca, so I'm probably in the appropriate place. That's what I was going to do. I was going to pick fruit, but I ended up in the shearing shed. So, Alan, you what you I, you just work around the place, whatever, pick up Well, work. mate, I'm... I, I do. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, foot loose and fancy free. So I sort of wander around Australia, and you know, if I like the bloke I work for, I'll stay for a while, and you know, then move around. I've been around Australia twice. Mate. The only place I've been is Tassie, which I'm on my way to get down there, but I'm going down there in wintertime. Mm. But yeah, like I do firewood. I do. I don't do anything, mate. I'm actually a helicopter pilot too, so I do cover a lot of things. Really? Gee. Yeah. No, no word of a lie, mate. I've been a helicopter pilot. I went. I spent six months out in a, in a Chinese fishing boat chasing tuna in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Trying to kill myself three times a day. What in uh, a small, those very small um, helicopters? No, if you know anything about the Vietnam War, there's a helicopter called a Hughes 500 shaped like an egg. Mm-hmm. They had the Gatling guns out the side of them, not the Hueys, the big ones. They were a Hughes 500. Right. So that, so they were the quick ones. The one You see them in movies every now and then, but they're the ones that, they're, and the, they're like a Ferrari, like the helicopter version of Ferrari. Uh-huh. And th- this was on a big mothership, was it, or what? It was. You had to take off and land off the nose of the boat. And you, as you can imagine, Macca, the ocean's never flat. Mm. So you've got to time it when you go to land the helicopter. You've got to time it. So if, if, the, if the nose of the boat's lifting up, you've got to go, wait, hang on a minute. I've got to, you've got to, on the way in, you've got to work out, hang on a minute. You've got to work out how fast the boat's going, how hard the seas are, which way it's rocking and rolling. Because you had to land on a rope, a round rope, like they had a rope rolled up. Uh-huh. They had to land on those, and of course, there's wires and there's towers and there's Chinamen, and there's, you know, there's all these idiots on the deck where you got to land. So you, you got to push them out of the road to land this damn helicopter. Wow, it was it, interesting. Yeah, I bet it is. And does it pay well? That sort of a job, I suppose. No, it... but mate, I wanted the hours. So because I was only I only had piston time, I went out there to get turbine time. I mean, I shouldn't have even got the job, but I knew a bloke, and he, he knew a bloke. So anyway, I got the start out there. I wanted 500 hours turbine time in this helicopter, so I got that and got out of there. Mm. Because I said to him, I said, you blokes going to kill somebody the way he's operated here. And anyway, two months after I left, I killed two blokes. So I dodged a bullet there. Yeah, that's, the second, that's the second bullet I've dodged. Because a bloke wanted me to pick a helicopter up in Melbourne and take it to Canberra years ago. And I said, no, I can't do it on Wednesday, mate. I can do it on Friday. Anyway, he insisted that I do it. I said, no, it can't happen. Anyway, these two blokes got killed on the way back from, right from Melbourne to Canberra. There you go. There in you low go. cloud, you know, middle of winter, flying across the mountains. They actually landed this helicopter on the ground, went and asked the farmer, where, you know, where are we? We're lost. And then they lifted the helicopter off the ground and took off and hit a dead tree in the fog. There you go. So, Alan, you, well, life sounds like it's uh, exciting and that's good, I suppose. Never a dull moment. Well, I've been asked years ago, 20 years ago, Macro Mato, where we worked for, he said, you've got to write a book about your adventures, mate. My adventures have tripled since then. <laughs> so, yes, the book's going to happen one day. Yeah. Well, enjoy your shearing, mate, and you never know. You'll be uh, you'll do that for a while. I didn't... Well, well, Macca, you know what my plan is? Hmm? Has anybody ever done what Burke and Wills has done? <laughs> what do you mean, walk to the Gulf? Yep, I'm on my way. What do you think I'm heading towards Melbourne? <laughs> I've already teed up the horses and the camels. Oh, there you go. I met a bloke last night. He said, "Would you?" He said, "I need to get an electric scooter to Darwin." I said, "I'll put it on a camel, mate, if you want." He went, "What?" 
So, so don't be surprised if you hear these nutcase that says we're going to walk by doing what Burke and Wills did. Yeah, well, look look after yourself and don't take any writing desks and uh, sinks and no, stuff I'm like that. No, I'm not going to do that. I, mate, I, I'm not a real good reader or a real good writer. I'm a good talker, but I can't do that much of that stuff. But can I say quick cheerio out to my old Uncle Arthur at Merriwall? Uncle Arthur at Merriwall, yeah. Okay. Uncle, yeah. I have got an Uncle Arthur. You remember Uncle Arthur, that TV show? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, well, he's, he's genuine. He actually rings you. He'll know he's listening. <laughs> Good on you, Alan. See you, buddy. Good on you, See you. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. It's Danny. How are you? Danny from Darlesford. (laughs) It is, Macca. How are you? Danny Danny with the T-shirt. Danny in the phone box. Danny who came to um, Rochi. That's it, with all the birds squawking away. Well, it's Danny cooking the bacon and eggs for his son this morning, Macca. There you go, mate. It's nice to talk to you. How you been? Yeah, not too bad. Um, that little bit of a scare I had last year, it's, uh, it's come back again. It's looming, so I'll have to go through a little bit of tests and things like that. But, uh, mate, I've still got a pulse. I'm still, uh, as one of your last callers said, he's shearing sheep, and I'm thinking... He's a bloke that's probably working his guts out, and he said, I'm living the dream. How, how different is that to someone sitting on a beach, you know, in the Bahamas or something like that? It's yeah. all relative, isn't it? Yeah, I'll say. And he, and he flew the helicopter so off the Chinese mother boat when they are out, uh, was it tuna spotting or something out in the middle of the ocean somewhere? <laughs> what a life, hey? <laughs> it's amazing. Hey, I went past that... Um, uh, at Wallace, that tractor thing yesterday, and I was going to find out what happened. I didn't. Uh, I slept in a little bit this morning. I'm, my, um, please forgive me for I've sinned. Um, <laughs> but no, I had a bit of a sleep in this morning, so I missed that. And I was ringing up to find out if anybody knew anything about it. Um, my son and I dropped in, and we just caught the end of their 50 kilometer drive or whatever. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they went out for 50k, and we sort of got stuck in the parade the procession about the last kilometre or so as they were coming back. And, you know, we were sitting on about 20 k's. They went out for 50 k's at 20 kilometres an hour. Yeah. And it would have been a great spectacle to see if you're a farmer out there and watching this. There would have been dozens of old fergies yeah. going past. It's great to see. What Danny's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, if you've just got up, uh, David rang early this morning from Wallace, which is near Ballarat, and these people who own Fergie tractors and uh, and such like, you know, old trucks and stuff. But anyway, they're having a, a get-together of Fergie tractors in Victoria t- today. And and I think he's expecting more to turn up today, uh, uh, Danny. Um, the, I don't know. They had 70 or 80, he said. Um, it's called oh, a, a, Fergie, oval, a Fergie fire-up, it's called. <laughs> yeah, they'll need a bigger oval. They were nearly wrapped right around the oval yesterday, the old oval I used to play footy on when I was younger. And it's amazing what uh, moves people, especially blokes. They like uh, mechanical things, don't they? Old engines, old trucks and old tractors and whatever. And he said they're not all fancy. He said some of them look pretty daggy, but uh, they all talk about their own Fergie. And they started, as he said, they started a revolution in agriculture, really, the Fergie tractor. Yeah, and there were some interesting-looking old ones. And my son, like, he's 18, so he's he's grown up in a digital world. And... Um, I thought it would have been the last thing he wanted to see. And he was equally as interested as I was, Macca. So you, you never really know. Sometimes you just got to, you know, take the, bit, uh, what is it, the bull by the horns and um, <laughs> give, these, give these younger people a bit of an opportunity to see what they actually do engage with when we think they don't. So that was a surprise, you know. But we went up the block yesterday. We cut some grass and we chopped some wood and we went to the local lake to, to wash off all the, the dust and grass seeds afterwards. And, uh, you know, what, life's pretty good, Mac. I was saying, you know, I've got that bit of a health thing that's going, but, you know, still got a pulse. you got to keep going, don't you, eh? I'll say, Danny, we'll catch up soon, mate. I'll come down and see you. We're going to come down uh, your way shortly. So um, when I say shortly, in the next month or two. So we'll uh, we'll catch up, okay? Oh, that'd be fantastic! No, look, you know me. I'll be there. I'll go. I'll be bringing the t-shirt. <laughs> and for everyone out there, I tell you what, they're hard wearing. Get in, get into them. They're really good, and it's a good fundraiser you're doing for that Macca too. Yeah, we're we're going up uh, north. Uh, we've got to go to Brisbane um, this week, and uh, we're going to drop in five thousand dollars to um, to Lions in uh, Lismore if we can find them. We've had trouble locating them, but well, that's what we're going to do on the way up. Well, like. Like up in Rochi, I'll bring my wallet again, mate. I'll do, <laughs> no, you don't have to, Dan. You just just bring yourself, mate. Good on you. 
Always, we've always got something we can spare for others. Always, mate. Yeah. We've got to share it around, eh? Good on you, Danny. See you, you mate. You too. All the best. See you, Cheers. Mate. Bye. Our rowing correspondent is on the line, Mark Campbell. Good morning, Mark. Oh, good morning, Mac. How are you? Yeah, very well. What's right, happening? I was just listening to you talking about the uh, plants and gardening. I'm sitting here covered in sweat and blood after chopping out lantana and Madeira vine for the last hour or so just to get myself going for the day. But um, that's not what I'm ringing about. It was just funny you, you brought it up there. And it's a great feeling. It does get you pleased your head. It's awesome. Um, what I'm ringing about is that uh, there's something that hasn't happened for uh, over 150 years. I think it is. It must be. Yeah, it would be. Um, there's an Australian that's going to cox in the boat race in uh, in England uh, between Oxford and Cambridge. Um, but it's a bit more than that. Uh, Anna O'Hanlon went over, she's doing a master's in clinical embryology. She's a super smart girl. She's a daughter of a very good friend of ours. Um, she's actually got five daughters and one son, and people might know the son, Evan O'Hanlon. He's Australia's most successful Paralympic um, uh, athlete. He's won the 100 metres at the Paralympic Games a few times. But Anna's got her own story, and she went over to Oxford, and um, she's just been named to Cox the Men's Crew, which is almost an impossible dream for a girl to do these days. You know, the, the, you could fair to say that the, the coach wouldn't have been, it wouldn't be the first one that he would have gone for, but the boys just kept voting for Anna and she was just named this week and the boat race is on in two weeks' time. It's an incredible effort. Yeah, uh, tell me this. Is she small? Has a cock's got to be small? Is that the, because you're taking... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't be over sixty kilos. Um, you've got to be, but well, fifty-five is the minimum you can be. Bit like a jo- bit like a jockey, sort of. Yeah, it's a bit like a jockey. But but the boat race is is a true coxswain's race. If anyone's ever watched it, and hundreds of thousands watch it every year on the bank and millions on TV, um, you you go down the Thames in in you know uh, in London and it's it's brutal. It's you know there's lots of twists and turns and the crews are trying to crash into each other and cut each other off. It's it's a fantastic. It's an amazing event. <laughs> And um, so it's not not a place for the faint-hearted. With you, and you know, as far as being a rower, it's probably you know it's, it's seven and a half kilometres. I think it is. It's it's a huge, you know, it's a, it's an amazing event. But um, it sounds it sounds like the whole race depends on the cox and not so much on the rowers. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's the coxes. It's the pressure. Cox's Talk race. about pressure. God. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And this girl, uh, she's got a great backstory, and I think it'll probably come out. She's had you know she had some amazing surgery a couple of years ago. She had. A, you know, 10 years of, of on and off ill health and, and some unreal surgeons in um, Sydney have, uh, have, she's now fine and fixed and, you know, just, just an amazing backstory. So I hope that uh, people get to, it'll, it'll be on at two o'clock in the morning on Sunday, two weeks away. So it'll be just before you get up for the show. <laughs> so you'll, you'll get an update as you, um, as you go going to work maybe, but uh, it's, it's an amazing event. And for her to have done this, she's the first Australian since 1868, um, to Cox uh, and Oxford crew. Um, mm. So just just an amazing achievement to go over as a girl and, and, and to nominate for the for the boys' boat. And then these guys have just taken to her and they just, you know, they obviously love what she what she brings to the crew and uh, they've voted, you know, she said two or three great male coxswains who have been, you know, competing for this boat, but, but she's got the spot. Now, tell me this, the, the, the crews from Oxford and Cambridge, they're not just English, they're... Because students oh, come no, from all, all over, I suppose, don't they? Yeah, so they, yeah. They... I think there's nine. There's nine nationalities uh, in the in between the two crews. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. Um, so people go there to study. The good thing is that they're, they're not just rowers. They're 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 rowers doing something like Anna. You know, she's doing a master's in clinical embryology. She's she's super smart. Mm. Um, and a lot of the guys are the same. You know, they're they're smart guys who just manage to fit it into their lives and. And, you know, just do this one, you know, or they might do a few of them, but it's a huge challenge. So, yeah, I just thought people would love to know there's a, there's a girl who's done that from Australia. She's got a great backstory and, and uh, you know, was the, what was it, the, the uh, women's, International Women's Day the other day. And I just thought, you know, people should know that there's some amazing young girls out there doing some amazing things. Well, thanks for telling us, Marky. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk no to you. Worries, mate. And yeah, uh, great uh, to... keep up the weeding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, we just need habitat, mate. It's beautiful. It's, it's the most fantastic start to the day. A few good scratches, but you know. Well, everybody <laughs> should everybody should get out and do it. I reckon. Yeah, well, I think so. I, I'm always amazed that there's not more, but you know that's the way it is. It's, it is great once you do it. I encourage anyone to have a crack. Yeah, there's some great. There are some awesome groups up and down the coast. I must say, and around Australia, of course there are. And there's there's so much to do when you go to yeah. national parks. You know, I wander around a yep. national park now and again. I haven't done it for a while, a good while, but I, I 
you know, I was in a national park and I thought, here's this bloody weed. And I thought, God, help yeah. me out in the middle of nowhere. And the yeah. national park is full of weed. I don't know what you do about it, Mark. I mean, well, just and, everyone take a few plants out every day. There's umpteen million of us. We could, you know, that's all you need to do. Well, wasn't that story small. once about in China there was a, a a plague of flies and everybody was tasked to yeah. kill two to flies? Kill but you know they can do that in China. No, here we go. No, no, no. I'm now I'm going to the pub. No, I'm going. Well, no, we've all got something to do. We don't care. You know, well, you've always got something to do, but even you can just bend down and pick up a few weeds. It's good, good exercise anyway. That's yeah. what, that's how I see it. I just do it for the exercise and a, bit, and a bit and a bit of rubbish and a bit of rubbish. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll watch Anna Rowe Hanlon with uh, yeah with great interest, mate. So well, okay, mate. I'll give you an update when we we know how it goes, or you can you can follow it on. Uh, it'll be on the news, I hope, by then for her. She should get a good good, good bit of coverage. She's an amazing kid. Good on you, mate. Good on, mate. See, okay. See ya. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Morning, Macca. This is Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Yeah, just um, I was out on my walk this morning listening to you and uh, I heard that gentleman call in about a friend's daughter who is the cox in the men's rowing team um, in Oxford. Oxford, yeah. My, yeah, my sister-in-law uh, was the cox in the men's rowing team back in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And um, she has an interesting story as well. Um she was born with a chondroplasia, which is dwarfism, and uh, went, she won a scholarship to go to Oxford and uh, did, she was doing psychology and became a doctor of psychology. But she's also um, in theatre and she had just had a one-woman show called Little Big Woman <laughs> and her name's Deborah Keenahan and she's also an artist, um, just an amazing uh, person. She's an, uh, an activist for human rights and... Um, yeah, just so I just thought because I think he said she she was the first woman uh, Australian woman. So um, Deborah, I know for a fact, actually was. Uh, I don't know whether she was the first, but uh, she was definitely the Cox as well. I think he said she was the first since first at Oxford since I don't know some long time ago. He didn't say she first for a long time. That's what he'd said. I, I yeah, I didn't. I didn't think he said she was the first, but um, so uh, and her name's um, Anna Anna O'Hanlon, I think was her name. Yeah, is her name. Yeah. And and your girl's name Deborah Keenahan. Deborah Keenahan. Yes. So there's a, quite a lot of uh, information on you know Google when you have a look for her, but um, just and because she's a, a you know a dwarf and has um, had this um, well not disability. She's quite able in everything that she does but um I remember going to university myself you know after she had been there and you know just in the library looking you know for books and research stuff and just wondering then you know realizing you know how difficult it must have been for her just to find information you know this is before computers came in so um, but she's yeah just an amazing person but also the cox in the in the men's rowing team at Oxford there you go, and uh, and she had a one woman show. Did you say called Little Big Woman? Yeah, just recently, and um, but she's also an artist, um, sculpt has sculpted, and had sculpted herself in three uh, D, looking down on people, to give people um, the idea of, of how it feels for her. With, right. You know. Yeah. So she's just amazing. Uh, and how how do you know? You just you do you know her no, personally? Yeah, she's my sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And and, and how old is she now? Deborah is. Uh, she's had her sixtieth, so she's about sixty-one, sixty-two. Well, and she's had an amazing life, hasn't she? I mean, I suppose it just gives you, shows you that uh, whatever you know, you can do, whatever you can, as long as you dream and as long as you work hard. I suppose. Yeah, and she had you know amazing parents that were you know. Uh, she didn't, nobody talked about her having a disability. Um, and it was quite funny when she was um, finishing high school, the high school had a quadrangle in the middle. So it was completely enclosed with buildings. And there was an opening where the canteen was. And she went out, her father had bought her this little tiny van so that she could put all her artwork in it because her artwork was actually bigger than herself. And when she came out to get in her car, all of these guys at school had lifted her van and put it, placed it inside this quadrangle. So they had a bit of a laugh <laughs> at her expense. <laughs> God love her. Yes. Yeah, so... she, laughed, she laughed along with them. 
where could where could people see Little Big Woman, or is it just was just a? Look, it was it was on for a few nights. I think it's it has finished now. But um, you know, look, please go online and just have a look at her as a person and mm. uh, everything she's achieved. Amazing. Yeah, I'll say. Good on you. And where are you calling from, Lorraine, this morning? I'm down. I'm in Tullumbar, so south of Wollongong. Tullumbar. Yeah, beautiful little village. Is that's not a new suburb or anything? It's a. It is a new suburb, but it was designed. Um, so we've been here 15 years, and we were one of the first residents here. And um, the the village was designed to, you know, look old worldly. So picket fences, verandas that bring people outside. So, you know, people will come out and sit on the veranda and you talk to people going past. Um, so it was a, a unique concept. Um, Sounds lovely. Sadly, yeah, sadly, yeah, the rest of the development got sold off. So we didn't get our beautiful little town centre that we were hoping to get. But um, we're still very happy uh, with what we have here. Nice to talk to you, Lorraine. Thanks for your call. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mecca. See you. Bye. Trevor here. Hi, Trevor. Yep, I'm from uh, Theodore, but I'm in Emerald at the moment. Mm-hmm. What are you up to? Oh, I just, I'm just coming back from North Queensland. And, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd ring in and let you know what the country looks like up here. Everybody benefits from a bit of rain, you know. I'll say it's been a bit bound. Well, tell us, tell us, Trev. Well, in the, in the Gulf there, as you know, they've had big rains and evacuate in Burketown and stuff. Uh, in January, I was down on the New South Wales-Victorian border helping out with the flood guys, victims down there. And uh, even when I was there, the grass was, you know, chest high type of thing. And, uh, yeah, there's, I'm afraid the next thing we'll be reading about or hearing about bushfires in a few months. Well, I hope not. I hope not. Oh, uh, but yeah. uh, forewarned is forearmed. I mean, I think... I don't think anyone in Australia now, but you never know what happens in 20 years' time, but you wouldn't think that anyone in Australia now would uh, not be aware of floods and bushfires and uh, and making plans in case uh, it happened. Um, we've had enough of them, haven't we, of recent times? And But it was well, always the same. But I think we forgot about them for 20 years, you know. Uh, most people did. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 years ago when we had the Black Saturday in Victoria, um, it... Well, I hope it woke people up to about living in the bush and what you need to do to look after yourself. Oh, definitely. And that's that's one of the problems I see is uh, urban people are coming out for a lifestyle into the bush and not realising what can happen. Yeah. And you're out near Emerald this morning, did you say? Oh, I'm just passing through, heading back to a place called Theodore. Uh-huh. And uh, the countryside looks uh, beautiful and green. Oh, unbelievable. Up around you know, north of Charters Towers in Queensland up to Mount Surprise, the the grass and the cattle and everything up there. It looks like a rainforest out in that country at the moment. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And two years ago I was up there and it, it was desolate. There and, wasn't a beast anywhere. And Trevor, what do you do? I'm a cotton grower. Oh, right. At, uh, around Theod- Theodore. Yeah. And yeah. How's, uh, how's the cotton game going? Oh, it's pretty good. The, the prices are holding up for us. And uh, last year we had excellent yields. And this year it's shaping up to be average. Most things are made up of averages, as you know. Yes. <laughs> Life is made up of averages, mate. Good on you, Trevor. Thanks yeah. for your call, mate. It's nice to talk hey, to you. Catch nice you in, talking to you. Catch you mate. in Theodore sometime. Good on you. Phil's in Goolwa. Morning, Phil. Hey, Mac. How you going, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you. That's the go, that's the go. Yeah, the season's changing. We've got the rivers starting to slow down a little bit, but, gee, we've got some dead fish hanging around. Tell me. Well, you know, because we know we've had the big river flow, which is, in a lot of ways, is magnificent to see the big river doing its thing. But, um, you know, from the fallout of that, I think it might be a lack of oxygen in the water or something like that. The water's not uh, not something you'd, you and I would have a glass of. Um, and there's millions and millions of dead carp out on the beaches down from the mouth. So there's just, I've never seen so many dead fish in my life. There's just millions of them. Really? Yeah, I mean, it must have just knocked them and they've just all come up to the surface and then died and then they just get washed out to the sea. Well, carp are freshwater. Maybe they, when they got to the salt water or something, I don't know. What do you think? 
No, they've died before they've got there because we're just in Goolwamaka, just where the barrage is. And so we're theoretically, we're on the fresh, fresh side, although there is a bit of salt mm. intrusion comes back into the lake system. But, yeah, no, they've just, uh, the water's, the water's killed. And redfin and, uh, you know, there's native fish, other native fish in there too. Um, but I did hear the other day, I spoke to a mate yesterday and he said the people are from the government or the university have been out in the lake and they've, they actually got some Congoli out there. So we haven't seen them or they haven't, they were in big numbers in the years gone by, but they thought that sort of gone. But anyway, it's refreshing to hear that nature's going to do its thing, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think it's been, as I said in the quarter eight news when I read Rex Ellis's piece about, um, you know, in lots of ways, the floods have been bad for lots of people, but for the environment, um, when the water spreads out over the land, it's uh, it's had very beneficial effects, but uh, you know I suppose, yeah these have these have been events that have happened over over the years, haven't they? Big floods from time to time. Yeah, I, I spoke to an old elderly person in Goolwa, Jeff Burns, who's well known and well respected historian, and uh, knows a lot about this bit of country and the river, and he said that. Um, they say before Whitefella came here, the big river used to flow all the way to Kangaroo Island in a flood. Wow. There you go. That's a lot of water. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's quite amazing to see. But you're right. I mean, the thing is, it's nature. It's going to do its thing. And I just hope those buggers in Canberra don't forget about it because we've had a flood. Now everything's all right and we've got water. But, you know, they need they need to start having a look in the mirror, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Phil. Nice to talk to you, mate. Oh yeah. I, one little thing, Mac. I'll just leave you be. We've got a boat festival down here with the Oscar, so we've got a boat festival on the twenty eighth to the thirtieth of April. They've just got it back up running after COVID. That's a the wooden boat festival in Goolwa, is it? Yeah, is that South, what it's called? Yeah. The South Australian Wooden Boat Festival. Yep. And uh, we'll have the Oscar W there, and people could come and see the Oscar and get on her and have a look at her and all the rest. She's just had a bit of work done to her. She's looking pretty good now. And we'd love to see everybody come down and join in. They can get on some boats and play with the bloody steering wheel and get the kids in there and have a bit of fun. And you said what date's that? The 28th, did you say? Yeah, the 28th to the 30th of April, Macca. All right, Phil. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for your report. Love to see you down here someday. I will. I'll, I'll be there. Good on you. Thanks, Phil. Good on you, mate. See ya. Bye. Bruce is in Humpty Doo. Morning, Bruce. Good morning, Macca. How are you going? Good. Hey, a couple of months ago, I spoke to you about all the stuff being thrown out the dumps and everything, because I go to the dump three, four times a day. And I'm just noticing all the birds there now. We've got jabberoos and burdick and ducks. And the other day, I saw seven brogues. They're all just turning up. It's, It's absolutely unbelievable. It's beautiful. And they're turning up where? At the dump? At the dump, yeah. Well, the ibis and that, they get a lot of food from the dump, obviously, but they've uh, made a bit of a lake to try and stop, you know, contain some of the water, and it's turning into a nice little spot for them. The burdick and ducks are going there, and there's that many of them. And like I said, like seven brogues the other day I saw just come in, and it, it's absolutely beautiful. The dancing brogue, what a lovely bird. I, I haven't seen them dance yet, but obviously they must be, yeah. My, my wife used to do the Brolga dance, and she could do it, you know, imitate it pretty well, but it, they're absolutely beautiful, and, um, and all the birds there, it's so many of them, and it's a shame that they're at the dump, but I suppose they've got to get their food from somewhere. But So you, you're in Humpty Doo. You've had a lot of rain this year, haven't you? Yes, we've had quite some, and um, we haven't had any yesterday. Each day, I think this week, we've had a, a couple of heavy showers. Uh, it's starting to come to an end, but I suppose we'll get those knocking down winds soon, and then we'll start the dry season. We'll probably end up with six months of no rain, but it's everything's nice and green up here at the moment, and animals are loving it. And like I said, the birds are just coming in galore. Is it? Uh, do you think it's going to be a, a record wet up there? Uh, I'm not that well informed. I, I don't think it will be. It's going to be a big one. I, apparently, the um, a lot of the barra are, are really going off in a lot of the little places, you know, with the runoff and that. And mm. that's going to be really exciting because 
they still got that $1 million fish going around and there's a lot of $10,000 ones still swimming around with those little red tags. So it's, um, it, I think it's going to be a good run all season, that's yeah. for sure. How long have you lived in Humpty Doo, Bruce? Oh, not that long. I've only lived in the territory for about five years, um, ex-Queenslander, but um, I'm up here now and I'm just sitting out. I've been sitting out here having it since six, having a coffee and a smoke as you do, listening to the blue wing kookaburras and watching those and watching some little wallabies jumping around. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> nice time of year too. It's when the, it is. Yeah, rain sort of... Uh starting to disappear and yeah, it'll be green and beautiful for a while before it, as you I say, think, it dries off. I think down at Adelaide River, they've got a bit of a wild pig problem. You know, we've I've been hearing a bit of that on the radio where a lot of people are getting, you know, quite a few pigs coming into their property, coming into the outskirts of town and rooting up their front lawns and back lawns. And I think they, Damaged the um, the race course last year. They had to cancel the races. They had such a bad job. Well, it's funny you say that because um, Trevor Trevor Shields written me uh, a letter and he says, "Ian, um, Catherine area has a feral pig problem. Feral buffs are a problem. Feral deer and foxes are problems. Yet no one is looking at the science behind their behaviour to control them." Oh, that's so true, yes. Years years ago, a friend made lots of dollars by shooting a fox vixen in season, dragging the carcass behind his ute and poisoning the foxes that came to the trail. Pheromones are the answer to aggregating feral animals to control their numbers. I've seen a mob of around a 1,000 camels aggregated north of Lake Eyre for that reason, being kept awake by howling dingoes, being butted by pigs and billy goats, responding to the mating pheromones. Yet a blind eye has been turned to this aspect of animal behaviour. The human perfume manufacturer uses the science to sell their product. It is used in flute, fruit, fruit, fruit fly control, but not on destructive feral animals. I have seen male cats pee on my front doormat, and mating behaviour has been used in the Middle East for many years to control camels. I often wonder why it's ignored here. Perhaps one of your listeners has the answer, says Trevor. <laughs> And he says, in, in 2021, I shot 23 cats just out of Alice. The largest one was the size of a cougar, 123 centimetres, tip to nose. Um, so there you go. Yeah, all these wild animals, it, it makes you really sad because they eat so many of the native animals and mammals. And, and they just destroy everything when they come into contact. You know? Yeah. Good on you, sad. Bruce. Great to talk hey. to you, Brucey. Thank you. Have a great day. Cheerio. See you. Bye. Hey, good day, Macca. Robbo. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. I just rang to tell you, we're on our way back from uh, Adelaide. Um, we rode, the last two weeks, we've rode push bikes from Albury to uh, Glenelg, uh, through Rangaratta, and down along through the limestone um, coastline, and then into Glenelg over 10 days. A group of 11 of us, all average age about 60 to 65. Um, and we're on our way back. We had uh, a couple of days in Glenelg, beautiful weather, and uh, we went across the Hay Plain last night, uh, yesterday. Uh, a lot greener. It's the second time I've driven back from Adelaide. A lot greener than what it was four years ago when it was in drought. And uh, that's basically what we've been doing. We're a bunch of um, people from the Central Coast. We're heading north, back to the Central Coast. We've had great weather. We were worried about, about the weather before we left because it was hot the week before we left. And uh, we've had a good day, 11 of us riding across. Uh, we're just a bunch of ordinary people. A few, um, few ex-triathletes. Uh, got a fellow that just, a lot of drinking. There's a fellow just come back from the South Pole. He's only been back two weeks. He trekked across there. Good this, dragging the sled. Robo, these sound like pretty fit sort of people, and I suppose because you've... Well, how far have you cycled? Not really. Not, no, 1,500 kilometres. Mm. It's a group... We've been fit people, but um, to look at us, we're just pretty ordinary, and we like a drink every night. So we're a bunch of uh, has-beens, I would say. Macca? <laughs> no, no. Once you... Once you, these are people who have been fit all their lives, I'd say, Robbo. And once you've been fit, you're fit, and it doesn't take you long to get back into the rhythm, I'd say. Um, but 
Um, but that's good. Good on you for keep because a lot of people you know, get fit early in their life and then they let it go to seed, if you know what I mean, after after a while. But it's good to stay fit, isn't it? I've gone to seed, but the others are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where are you now? Uh, we're the other side. We got up this morning and we left Wagga and we've gone past the Goldman Turnoff, heading back towards, I suppose, nearly halfway to Liverpool and then we'll go back up the highway to the Central Coast. So we're all from Shelley Beach, Terrigal, Aboka, that area. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah, and we've done other things. We do something. Four years ago, we rode from uh, Albury, Radonga to uh, the Gold Coast up through um, Mudgee and Journey and all those places. And so we did that. That was step down. So you can't you can't travel on the you don't travel on the freeways, do you? Because you can't uh, on bike. No, we got a we got a we got a mate. He map, he maps the course and he puts it on his car. And we go on every back road. We both trips that we've done, we don't have much traffic at all. Um, he's pretty good at what he does. We we went over, we try to do something every year. We went over to Waikiki last year and did the Waikiki rough water swim. Mm. Um, we just mix it up. We're drinking some main activity, but we. We work the rest around at Macca. Yeah, well, good luck to you. Good luck to you, Robbo. And uh, yeah, keep keep keeping fit. I think it's good to, and it's good to get together, isn't it? They're, they're the important things to to do. A bit of uh, bit of mateship. We all catch, we all catch up once a year, and we uh, all tell stories. And everyone seems to be a better athlete today than what they were the other day, or so we say. <laughs> of course. Okay, mate. Good on you, Robbo. Nice to talk to you, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye. See you, bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.